This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. I'm the king of the world! There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich, and I'm here for today's interview episode with Rebecca Ford. Hello. Rebecca, you have what I think is a coup because the Emmy nominations are just a week old. And uh, you're talking to Quinta Brunson, who was, I think, undeniably one of the stars of this year's nominations as the creator and star of Abbott Elementary. Um, How thrilled was she when you got on the phone with her? Uh, she seemed really thrilled. She, she was on the lot, you know, working on the second season. They start shooting this week, actually. And she admitted that she did not watch the nominations because she just was so stressed out. And I I totally see that because, Mm -hmm. you know, that was one of the narratives this season was like, the show is going to break through as a broadcast comedy. And if it hadn't, I I can't even imagine that that pressure. But luckily, it is a definitely a success story of the season with seven nominations, you know, three for Quinta herself, a bunch of the actors got nominated. Uh, So yes, it it was definitely a really fun to talk to her just a couple days after the nominations were announced. Yeah. And as you've written about before, you know, she's young. She got her start doing Internet comedy, but she really wanted to make a broadcast, wide, family-appealing show, which is not the obvious route for anybody who's like a rising young talent in the industry. So like you said, like the success of Abbott Elementary really feels like there's a lot riding on it and it could raise a lot of boats along with it. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. And the credit is due to her for sort of bringing a fresh take to a format we've seen before, you know, the mockumentary comedy we've seen. But with the cast she's brought together and the storyline she's exploring, uh, I think it does really feel fresh, which I think is why a lot of people have tuned in and, and given it this attention. So what else did you guys talk about? Well, I I was curious how that success is affecting her writing um, season two, you know, because she, as she said, they wrote season one sort of in a vacuum, you know, and now a lot of people have opinions on the show. And, and so I was curious about that, which she talks about and also about how it's affected her personally. Like she's just sort of completely recognizable to so many people now. And she admitted that, uh, you know, on the lot, they shoot on the Warner Brothers lot that she now walks around uh, with an iron mask. Iron Man mask on because, you know, when there's <laughs> tours and stuff, she can't she can't like get anywhere uh, in peace. So she sometimes uses this mask when she wants to just like walk and think and kind of be by herself, which I thought was a pretty significant change. Like COVID mask or like full face? Yeah, like a big face, like a, a Halloween <laughs> costume mask. So uh, that's she admitted that's pretty that's a pretty significant change for her. But uh, you know, yeah, I would imagine that changed, yeah. <laughs> changed yeah. your day to day life. I told her she's going to have to get a new mask now because now we're outing her. I know. She's going to be, if you see the Hulk walking around the Warner Brothers lot, you'll know. Uh, Well, let's hear your conversation with Quinta Brunson. 
I'm so excited to be joined by Abbott Elementary creator and star Quinta Brunson today, who is fresh off the news of her show's seven Emmy nominations. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. And yeah, so cool. <laughs> well, tell sort of set the scene for me. What was that like? How did you take in in the nominations? Were you tuned in for it? I wasn't. I wasn't watching. I was doing a string of interviews for something and um, I didn't really pay attention too much to it. I think I didn't want to be anxious about the announcements. So my phone just started going off and I knew that something good had happened. Uh, And so when I was able to look at my phone, I saw that not only the show was nominated, but the, the rest of the nominations. And I was so shocked at the rest of the nominations. I'm so happy for my cast. I'm over the moon that the show is nominated because I felt we did really, really good work this year. And it felt like recognition that we didn't necessarily need, but recognition that I really felt the people who worked on this show deserved. I felt so many people really put their all into it. And the show nomination makes it feel like we can celebrate every single person who worked on the show, you know? Mm-hmm. I felt like the comedy series nomination was a lock, but I was so excited to see a lot of your cast get their individual acting nominations because uh, Janelle James, Shirley Ralph, Tyler James Williams, and you all received acting noms. Um, was, what was it like getting in touch with them after those had been announced? Oh, oh my goodness. Th- that's where the emotional parts came I don't, I don't know why I just was not that concerned about me as in it could have, if I was nominated, that was great. And if I wasn't that I, I was, I would have been fine for me. The worry was really, I just thought the show and I know everyone's saying they were, they felt like it was a lock, but I don't know. You never know. You know, you never know. You never know. And there are so many shows on TV, so many shows and you just never know. So I'm texting with Tyler while it's happening and he's saying congratulations to me. And he's like, oh, my God, Cheryl and Janelle got it, too. And we're just raving about that. He didn't (laughs) even know that he had been nominated. And I texted him like, Tyler, 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 you're Emmy nominated. (laughs) He's just like, what? Just totally was not predicting that. And he was over the moon. You know, Tyler's done such good work for years and asks for nothing in return. It's not like he even cares that much. He cared about Cheryl and Janelle and me and the show, of course. But he wasn't necessarily like, I hope I'm nominated. He just didn't think that would happen, Um, nor was he, like, striving for that. And for him to get nominated, it's just such a good representation of someone who has done comedy so well for so long. It's so cool that he did this as a child and is still doing it now and still doing incredible work. I think it proves that comedy takes an innate skill And him being able to do it so well as a a young person and then grow up into who he is now and still execute. It's like, I don't know, it like validates what we do a little bit. And then with Cheryl, oh, my God, I was just so emotional. I Cheryl reminded me of this, but I grabbed her hand at the beginning of the first season and told her, like, you know, Cheryl, we're going to give you Emmy worthy material. I felt like Cheryl's an incredible actress, amazing actress truly a joy to watch the art of acting through her. And while seeing it on set, I was like, I'm going to write you material that 
makes you impossible to ignore. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is her first one. She's been working for 50 years and just a big deal. Just a big deal for her. And Janelle just outright deserved it. I don't know if that's cocky to say, but I don't feel anyone gave a better comedic performance on TV than that woman. And it's one thing to people, it's all, it's her first time, so maybe she won't get it. Other actresses maybe deserve it more. No, she did incredible work and deserves to be recognized for it. And I mean, I feel that way about my entire cast. I feel Lisa Ann Walter did incredible work and and so good that she makes it look easy. Same thing with Chris Perfetti with Jacob. I mean, he's so good, he makes it look easy. But, you know, I'm just over the moon that so much of our cast was nominated and that the show was so we can all celebrate together. There's that video of Cheryl finding out about her nominations that's on Twitter now, and I've watched it like a million times because it's just so (laughs) sweet. And just to see that, yeah, the genuine joy of that recognition is so uh, authentic in that snippet. So I am curious. I think this cast, as you're saying, the chemistry between them is just so strong and really, I think, is one of the reasons the show works so well. And I'm curious when you were putting together this ensemble, you know, was there someone that was cast first and then you considered who would play opposite them? Like how, what was the order for bringing this group together, assembling them, if you will? (laughs) So Tyler was the first person cast because I had him in mind for the character Gregory. When I was writing that character, Tyler was just coming to mind. I'd worked with him before, and I just thought he'd really be able to kill this, every aspect of it. So he was cast first. I wanted people who felt like real people because I think that's what does best in mockumentary. And Lisa Ann Walter, she just felt like this real, real teacher who was in my life. Chris felt like a brand new version of what could have been a very easily stereotypical performance. And he brought life to it. And especially in the the pilot stage, you know, there wasn't much for Jacob in that pilot. And I knew that, but there was six characters. So, you know, I kind of gave more to the women and, you know, more to Gregory. But he just breathed such life into the character and brought a new archetype to this kind of guy. And then Janelle, I would say the Ava character was the hardest to nail down because I think people can read her lines and create something very unlikable. They might not be trying to, but that's how it comes off. That was the importance of Janelle. She auditioned, and I was like, this is it. I'm I'm watching her. I can't stop watching her. I love her. I love to hate her. She gets all of it. And she was the one that was a little bit of a, uh, a little bit, teeny bit of a pushback with the, the network of, like, she's unknown. Like, maybe this can go to, like, a bigger person. And I was like, no, it's not about, actually, I think any bigger person would make it more unlikable, you know. And Cheryl was the last cast member added. And... I thought of Cheryl from the beginning, but I didn't think we'd be able to get Cheryl. She's always working. She was on a show. She just so happened to be available. And that was the first part of when Cheryl and I, Cheryl realized that things would be different here because Cheryl's offer only. But I called her and I said, I I have to hear you read. I'm sorry. Like, I I love you and want to do this show with you, but I cannot not have you read. And if you don't want to, that's fine. We'll move on. But she was like, actually... 
you know what? I will. And boom, perfect. But it is with mockumentary, you know, you got to see people read. Offer Only is really hard. And I think, I don't know, Offer Only is a weird thing anyway. But I, the other thing I was looking for were, were people that looked like real people, too. I didn't want this, like, overly beautiful cast. Although, don't get me wrong, I find every person in my cast to be super attractive. <laughs> but I, I didn't want uh, the typical network glossy look. I wanted them to feel and look like real people. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. Yeah, we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink lover. room. All right, Asha, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mao. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. When you look back on this first season, is there a storyline that you're especially proud of, you know, all these months later that you kind of look at with a little more pride? Yeah, absolutely. I'm especially proud of episode um, 108, which is Work Family, because we do a lot in the episode and... One of my favorite things we got to do was introduce that Jacob's character was gay without making it a, com- a coming out story. That was really important to me. I, there are so many queer people in my life and, you know, they're just in my life. I've, I've grown up. I think that's a true sign of, of change, you know, as more people my age come into these spaces. I don't, I don't need these characters to do coming out stories. They are queer. They've been queer since years ago. They're just here. And I think that that was really important for me to do. Uh, it was interesting watching that reaction from the audience because it was absolutely what I, what I kind of intended. I knew that they would be like, wait, what? Like, what? what? No one told us. And it's like, yeah, because we don't like have to because, <laughs> you know, gay people are just gay. We don't really have to tell you that they're gay. <laughs> they just are. But, you know, that was, that was a storyline we wanted. And that episode is not about that. It's really about Janine realizing she's outgrowing a relationship. Gregory learning his place in the school. Um, so I was really proud of that entire story and proud of how we really were in a groove when we were writing that one. And you 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 know, you mentioned taking in people's reactions to the show. And I know you're you're pretty active on social media and you've tweeted about people calling the show undramatic or or other things that have <laughs> have happened. But I'm curious how you 
how you absorb reactions to the show. Are there ever moments where you have to like sort of step away from it or do you enjoy that part of the process? I don't absorb them as much. I think in the first season it was interesting to see, right? Like it, it's cool to see people love the show that much on social media. But the first season of Abbott was so special to me because we got to create it in a total vacuum. You know, the, the show wasn't airing while we were writing it. It was fully written, fully shot by the time it started airing. So there was kind of this piece and we did what we could do and nothing is going to change. And um, I'm going to have to believe that everything I planned will work. And there was things in the beginning, like I was like, you know, Ava's going to grow on people. And I remember in the pilot stage, there was like talks with the network and studio, like, is it too, is she too much? I'm like, trust me, trust me. And I trust me. And I turned out to be right. Cause I said by episode four, she's going to be the, you know, <laughs> people are, are going to want to not have her in an episode. And I feel that everything I predicted with the show was right. And that gives me a lot of strength as a creator, a lot of trust in myself. And so that's what was interesting about seeing the reactions. But it's important, I think, for a creator, for most creators to not let audience notes kind of change what you're doing. It's just about trusting your own vision and knowing how to write stories. One of my favorite things in the world is watching old TV shows and, and um, you know, like old black and whites. And it's like, I've seen so much at this point in my life. I've seen dinosaurs. I've seen <laughs> Marvel, you know, crazy special effects. But I can still watch an old black and white movie and be like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. And it's like, because that's just a good story. And um, that's a writer trusting what they're writing and knowing how to tell a compelling story. And that's what we have to keep doing no matter what. So where are you in the process of season two right now and how does it feel different now that you're not in the vacuum, I guess? <laughs> I know. Well, one good thing is the show being so, so quote unquote, successful is it really gave me, my producers, the writer's room, the studio and network, the ability to believe in ourselves even harder. It was like, okay, first season did exactly what it was supposed to do. So we were able to come in not worried about you know, I don't know. It, it was easy to get right back into the groove and write what we want to write. So so we begin filming next week. But in the writer's room so far, we have seven episodes written. The whole season is outlined and we have the next four or five episodes in either story outline or first script stage. So we're very far ahead. And my wonderful co-producer, Justin Halpern, created a fantastic schedule to help me be able to see most of the episodes before I, I start filming. So I've, I've been here in the writer's room every day, unless I have to go do press or something. But I'm actually sad I have to leave the writer's room next week. It's so bittersweet. Of course, I'm excited to go join the cast, but I really love being in the writer's room. I love telling these stories. One thing that's changed is, you know, last year we had 13 episodes, and this year— we're going to get to have a lot more fun. You know, we, we've we shown people what we can do in the first season. To me, now it feels like we can become more of a situational comedy. I, we were that in the first season, but I had a, we had a lot of lifting to do as far as making people fall in love with these characters in this school. Now everybody loves them. Now we can have some good old-fashioned friends-type fun, you know? <laughs> 
I know. I'm so excited for it. I didn't realize you were, by the time this airs, you'll be shooting already. So what has been the biggest change to your own life in the past year or so? One big change is, uh, I think there are, (laughs) I really want to just focus on Abbott, but there's always the pressure to do other things, big things, things that you know, any any creator would be like, that's my dream. But I want to focus on continuing to make this a good show. And I feel like if my focus is removed from the show, I just, I look at it as we're building an engine, you know, like I want to come with another heavy hitting season of television and then another, <laughs> and then maybe I can like, you know, pull away a little bit. But I want to set this up so that everybody working on it can come back to work here because... It's a fun place to work. We have good shooting hours. We have good working hours. And I love, you know, I really appreciate all these people. I hope they can continue to work on this show for a very long time. So that's changed. There's a lot coming at me and and a lot of me just wanting to stay focused on this. Um, One of my writers brought me this mask so I can walk around (laughs) the Warner Brothers lot because I can't really walk around the the Warner Brothers lot anymore. For those listening, it's a, is it Iron Man? Mask. Yeah, yeah, it's an, an Iron, Iron Man mask she brought me to wear <laughs> while I walk around the lot. Um, because I can't really walk around the lot like that anymore, and that sucks. First season, I loved the lot. You know, I just love lots. I love I love it, and we are in the thick of it. I used to love to just take a walk around, drive the cart around, just go to the back lot. It helps me think, helps me get inspired, and I have lost that ability this year. <laughs> uh, so... That's a big change that is an interesting one, you know, where I'm like, damn, I really can't. I could walk around, but it's just not that easy to just walk around and think anymore. You have to be willing to stop and talk to people. And, you know, the tour cars, they drive by and that's what people come to L.A. for, to come to see somebody from a TV show they watch. <laughs> it's true. Lots are so Anytime I get to go to a lot, I'm so excited because you can just feel the like movie magic on a lot. I don't know what it is, but it's real. You can just feel it. It's real. It's so corny. Did you watch uh, The Offer? Mm-mm, I didn't see it. So the Offer on Paramount Plus, you know, it's all about making The Godfather, but, and I don't know, people probably have their opinions on whether or not it's a good or bad show, but I found it extremely entertaining, and I so much loved watching them on the lot and, like, watching them walk around the Paramount lot and making the movies. Oh, God, I was in heaven. I was like, oh, I'm such a nerd for this it's right now. <laughs> so fun. Um, we're almost out of time, but, you know, the Emmys are now two months away. So I'm curious, what are you excited for that night? Are there any other people from other shows that you're rooting for in, in other categories? Or what are you looking forward to? <laughs> I'm rooting for a bunch of people in my category, which is dumb. I mean, <laughs> I really think Jean Smart is amazing. I'd be honored to lose to her. That's how I feel. Seriously. It's like, yeah, I don't mind that. It's funny. Tyler and I both were like, dude, we're going to lose to Jean Smart and Henry Winkler. Like, this is the biggest moment of our careers. <laughs> but um, no, seriously, I love Jean. Issa, I'm so, so happy Issa is getting to get recognized in the last season of Insecure because she just did great work. And I'm just, I'm rooting for her. I, I, I'm always rooting for Issa. Like, it never fails. Even, even when I'm, like, up against her, I don't care. I, if she wins, it'll feel like I won too. So that's really cool. Um, I'm rooting for Brett Goldstein, love Brett and Ted Lasso. He's just like good people, 
the homie, you know, him winning is always a good thing. Um, Donald, would love to see Donald win for Atlanta. The entire cast of uh, Yellow Jackets, are they in there, right? Yes, they are. They're like a whole category, yeah. right? <laughs> they're, they're, the show and several of the actors, yeah. They're. Yeah. I love What We Do in the Shadow. I'm so happy to see What We Do in the Shadows nominated. I love that show. And I don't know, that was another one where I was like, it might, they might not write. You know, I don't know. You never know how things are going to swing, but I absolutely adore that show, and I'm so happy that it's nominated. What else? That's a lot. That's it. That's a lot. All my other favorites were, were snubbed. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> All right, well, we'll end with one last question. And you, like many creators and writers, have had a few other projects that you've worked on that didn't end up making it to TV. That's just the nature of the beast with this. But I'm curious, you know, if there are other writers listening, how you deal with those kinds of disappointments or setbacks and and keep going. Absolutely. I think two things. When my setbacks would happen or I didn't really look at them as setbacks. There was just nothing that could stop me from continuing to write and pursue this. I will say, like, if Abbott didn't go, I did feel very deeply. Like, if Abbott doesn't go, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be here. (laughs) But but the other things that didn't go were things I was still passionate about, of course. But it was always leaving those experiences with, okay, what relationships have I built? What was the positive I can take away from this? And, it, you know, your show not making it or even getting canceled, stuff like that. It, it, you, there's a lot to take away from from what that is and how to grow for and move forward. And I know for even Abbott to happen, I pitched a show to Aaron Wernberg, who was my executive, who, who is the uh, development executive on Abbott. But a year prior to me pitching Abbott to her, I pitched another show to her that I didn't sell to ABC, I sold it to HBO Max. But I left that meeting being like, I'm going to work with that woman one day. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I just knew that was a relationship I wanted to maintain. I knew she got me, I knew she got my vision, I knew she understood my place in the ABC world too, which was interesting. That's something that, even even though the show I was selling wasn't going there, I was like, her, and this it can be something one day. It's about, like, maintaining those relationships. And Justin and Patrick, who are my co-producers, they produced a pilot that they casted me in. It's like, my first real acting job, and that pilot didn't go. But I was like, these guys are great. And they liked me. I liked them. Warner Brothers, I've really been in business with since the beginning of my career. 
They've believed in me multiple times, things that have gone, things that didn't. But that's positive. Like, I think maybe somebody else would have been like, I'm leaving Warner Brothers. But I'm like, I have these people who believe in me enough to continue to try again. And that's worth something. So I would tell people just to maintain their relationships. It's really, really positive. Don't burn bridges when something doesn't work out. You never know, you know, what will be around the corner and who's going to be there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, congrats on all the success. I hope you've been able to celebrate a little bit, even though you're very, very busy <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, yeah, doing my little here and there is why I'm so tired today. My, friend, my friends made me go out and celebrate last night. They were like, you have to celebrate. But here I am at work getting my ass beat. You know, I'm like tired. <laughs> well, you deserve it. Thank you. Uh, and I can't wait to see what's next. So thank you again for joining me. Thanks, Rebecca. That does it for today's interview episode. We'll be back later this week with our regular roundtable conversation. In the meantime, find us at VanityFair.com, on Twitter at Little Goldman. I am at Katie Rich and Rebecca. Becca M. Ford. You can also sign up to text with us at joinsubtext.com slash littlegoldmen or text 213-513-7215. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.